Well, good morning. My name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary. And I wanted to draw attention to an important question that we all ask. Do you even care? It's a question that we, we ask. It's, it's one we feel deeply because think about it this way. When someone asks you something about yourself, but it seems like they don't care at all, it impacts us. They're not making eye contact with us. They aren't engaging with our words or at the worst when they just get up mid-sentence. Okay, we'll talk about it later, I guess. But it changes my interaction with that person. You better believe next time they ask me something, it's one-word answers only because they don't seem to care. But when someone does care, oh, it changes everything about us. We need people like that in our lives. It's why even the most hardened of us who claim that our birthdays don't matter, if people actually took what we said and didn't acknowledge our birthday, we'd be so bummed afterwards. It's why when uh, something significant happens in our lives, one of the first things that comes to mind is, oh, I can't wait to share this with this person. It's why we go around with a sad expression on our face and letting out a sigh every 10 seconds until someone asks us what's wrong. Or maybe that's just me. (laughs) When people care, when they demonstrate their care, that changes everything. We need people in our lives that help us remember that we matter that help us remember that what we're going through matters. We need people who help us feel cared for. And when we don't have that in our lives, and we are stuck asking the question, do you even care? It's just impacting everything about us. And it gets to another question. Does God care? Does God care who I am? What's going on in my life, both the good and the bad? Does he care? How do we know that he really loves me? In those times of difficulty, why is there a delay to my prayers that I'm asking? Why am I not hearing anything? Does God even care? In the best of times, we know we feel loved by God. We know he cares for us, but we don't always have the best of times. And in those moments of difficulty, it is hard to remember what God has done who he is, and how much he cares for us. And that's the whole point of the series that we're in. The summer playlist, looking at some of the most impactful passages of Scripture or the passages that have most impacted us as as speakers, the ones that God continues to reveal himself to, or in the moments that we forget that God reminds us of himself, reminds us of what he's already showed us. And this passage that we are in today, it's one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture. And it's because I need to constantly go back to it. Because in this passage, we see so deeply the care that God has for his people. In those times when I become overwhelmed, when life is getting the best of me, when I'm losing focus, when it's just constantly asking, do you even care, God? I need to be reminded of passages like this one. And I see time and time again, yes, he does exponentially more than I can ever realize. I wanted to go through this text and kind of read it in a somewhat unique way so as to draw some of this out of it. But before we can do that, we actually get to need to get to the text itself. So we will be in Mark chapter 5. Uh, we'll pick it up. We'll start off in verse 21. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. 
Here's what it says. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. We'll, we'll put a pause there. Uh, we'll stay in Mark 5 throughout, but, but we'll just stop after those first two verses. So I said I wanted to do kind of a, a unique way, a different way of reading through this passage. There is a danger, I want to say first of all, of reading ourselves into a piece of scripture. That is not acknowledging what is going on in context or uh, the, the history of what's happening here. Just to go into scripture and see all of this is about me isn't the best reading. But there is value in placing ourselves in scripture. So being informed by what's going on in the context of, of recognizing that there are real people in these stories. These aren't made-up tales, but there are real people in them who are reacting in the way that real people do. So there are long delays. How would someone be acting like that? If I was in this situation, what would I be thinking? What would I be experiencing? What would I be feeling? And that helps out draw some of the understanding. We too often read to accomplish. We're at a Bible reading plan. I have to read seven chapters today, so let's just read those seven chapters, and we miss some of this. Now, other times, we're in a story that we've heard time and time again. You know how this passage ends. We read it earlier. A little girl gets raised back from the dead. But that doesn't mean we should miss what is going on in the passage until then, because Jairus certainly didn't know that at the end. So how would Jairus have been feeling throughout this passage? And so while we don't want to read ourselves into Scripture, we can certainly place ourselves into Scripture. Let me try one more time to explain that. Uh, imagine going to a birthday party. There is a difference between going to a party and assuming that the party is for you. So you walk in, oh, these presents must be for me. Oh, this cake is mine. Everyone is gathering here to celebrate me, despite the fact that someone else's name is on that banner. That, we would all agree, is probably not the best thing to do, right? But it doesn't mean we can't go to the party. It doesn't mean that we can't experience it. It doesn't mean that there's nothing that, uh, that, that we aren't impacted by what's going on around us. Like, we still have an impact that comes from being there. If we went up to the birthday person afterward and say, hey, great party, I had a lot of fun, and they say, who cares, it's not your party, maybe we skip that event next year. There's a difference between reading ourselves into Scripture, assuming all of it is about us, and placing ourselves into Scripture, trying to understand what the real people would have been reacting in real ways. Now, the people's reactions are not inspired by God, only the text of Scripture is, but when we are given details, when we're given notes that help us with our understanding, it's beneficial to try to think through how would someone have been feeling? How would someone have been thinking? How would a real person be reacting in this situation and as we do so, we get some of the drama of the text, not rushing through to its conclusion, but thinking, how would this person have been re relating to Jesus in the uncertainty and fear? How would someone be thinking? How would someone be acting? This helps us to get the drama, to get the impact of the text. And as we read this way, this passage in this way, it helps us understand the care that Jesus shows. So this man Jairus comes. And we're given an important detail, his job. It says he is a ruler of the synagogue. Now, if we were reading through Mark, this would make us think back to chapter 3, 
uh, where Jesus goes to a synagogue in this same area, so possibly the synagogue that Jairus was working at, and he performs a miracle on a Sabbath. And the result of this, it says the Jewish leaders, the rulers of the synagogue, were looking for ways to destroy him, is the wording that's used. There's no passivity in that phrase, destroy him. That's pretty clear. And so for Jairus, who is part of the rulers of the synagogue, who is part of that group who is so adamantly against Jesus at this point, for him to come to Jesus is significant. For him to come to this man that his peers are looking to destroy is significant. He is taking his job into his hands. He could lose it for this. More importantly, they could treat him in the same way that they're looking to treat Jesus. He could be taking his life into his own hands for this. But that doesn't matter. Why? Let's continue reading. Verse 23 says this. So Jairus falls before Jesus and he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. Do you see the significance of that detail? My little daughter. There are so many ways this could have been recorded for us. Come and heal my sick child is one. This says, my little daughter is at the point of death. There is love behind that. There is compassion. There is a desire to have his daughter healed. But there's also desperation. Look at what it says. It says, implored him earnestly. This isn't asking. This is desperately pleading. Essentially, his words are, my little girl is dying. I could be in so much trouble coming to you right now, but that doesn't matter because the only thing that matters, my little girl is dying and I need to do whatever I can to stop that from happening. I need to do whatever I can to make her well, even going to someone that I'm not supposed to be talking to. And this is what we expect to see from a father, right? A father who goes to care for their child beyond anything else. And on this day that we celebrate fathers, this is the picture that we expect to see. Utmost care for a child, where any other thoughts or obstacles or opinions all come secondary to this first and foremost thing, caring for a child. It's the picture of a father that we get from God the Father, right? who pursued us and loved us despite our constant rebelling, who paid the absolute cost for us so that we, his little daughters and his little sons, could be made well again. We don't always get this image from fathers. Some of us have been treated extremely poorly or just not up to the standard. Some of us in the capacity of a father have not acted in this way as well. But I think that highlights Jairus' actions all the more. As we place ourselves into this text, we expect to see such a thing from a father, this extreme care, this desire to provide and care for a child beyond all else. My little girl is dying. Nothing else is more important than that. Please come and heal her. So Jesus goes. Let's pick up the passage. Uh, We'll finish out verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So she was bleeding throughout these 12 years. 
and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. You see the desperation, right? We've said before that when there's details given to us in a passage of scripture, it, it should perk up our ears. It should make us wonder, why is this here? This is even more so true for the gospel of Mark. Mark, who writes with such brevity, who who summarizes things that are much more extended in the other Gospels. Mark, who moves from uh, event to event with immediacy. No, I'm not kidding. He uses the word immediately 41 times in 16 chapters. He's just trying to go action-packed from story to story, leaving out a lot of details in the process. Some of these details that he leaves out elsewhere are pretty important. We see them in other Gospels, like... Jesus appearing to anyone out after he was resurrected, uh, what Jesus was doing before he started his ministry. None of that's in this gospel. So where Mark actually slows down and spends time and uses like three verses to describe something, we should take note of that. This is significant. So Mark is writing with extreme detail to tell us about this woman. 12 years she's been bleeding. 12 years she's been experiencing this. Beyond the extreme pain and discomfort of this, there is more significance to it. Leviticus 15 tells us that uh, anyone who is bleeding or anyone who comes into contact with blood is unclean. Now, we may look at some of these Old Testament laws and say, God's just being so cruel to people. But It's significant because it reminds us that this world and anything associated with sin and death is not natural. It's not what we were made for. It was not in God's original plan in Eden. So anything that reminds us of those things are unclean as a way to signify this isn't what we're meant for. And it's not that people weren't allowed to be with God uh, forever. There was a process put in place to show the significance of this, this ritualistic process to become clean again, all the while remembering this isn't what God has for us. And so there was a way for that to happen. Once someone was made clean through the process, they could go and enter into right worship with God again. But here's the question. What if the bleeding never stopped? What if the bleeding never stopped for 12 years? More than that. Anyone who came into contact with someone bleeding was made unclean themselves and had to continue to go through this process of being made clean again. So what happened? She would have been kicked to the outside. Everyone who came in contact with her would have been unclean themselves, and so anyone like that would have been on the outskirts, couldn't join the community, couldn't know people or be known by other people, 12 years in isolation. So you see the desperation, right? You see the significance of spending all this time to talk about this woman has been spending every cent she had going to every doctor she could find, not just to rid herself of pain, not just to make it so she could go and worship in in the proper way that everyone else was able to do, but so that she could be with that everyone else. She's desperate. And one final attempt, she goes to Jesus and says, this man is so powerful, all I have to do is touch his clothes and I will be made right again. So she enters into the crowd. Do you hear the problem? 
she enters into the crowd as a woman who is bleeding, making everyone there unclean. There's punishment for that. For knowingly doing this to other people, she is at best facing ridicule and shame. At worst, she could be killed. It doesn't matter, her actions say. Jesus can make me well. Look at verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Her isolation, her pain, her despair, her loneliness is met with relief. Verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in, his, uh, about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. So Jesus knows what has happened, knows someone has received healing, and so he's looking around to figure out who touched him in this crowd. I love the sarcasm from the disciples. This entire crowd pressing on around us, and you're asking who touched you? Everyone, everyone touched you. But Jesus takes time to figure out who this was. Time. Jesus is spending time to figure out who touched him. Who is silent in this passage? Who is a a person that we've been introduced to so far that we're not hearing anything about, but we know is with Jesus in this time? Jairus. Jairus, who came to Jesus in desperation with an urgent plead to make his daughter be well. She is dying. She is on the point of death. We need to hurry. And yet this crowd has pressed in around him. There is no moving quickly in a crowd. Uh, Nick Vaughn and I, along with a couple other guys from Calvary, went to uh, Game 5, the Colorado Avalanche loss. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Uh, But it ended in overtime, and the home team lost, and so no one was sticking around in their seats. We were all getting there as soon as the game was over. And we were all sad and disappointed, and so no one was moving with any urgency. You can't move quick in that situation. You're standing there and you're stopped and you see a little stream of people moving over here. It's like, okay, I'm going to move over this way and then that stops as well. And you see where you were, like people are moving that way now. Okay, so let's go back and that stopped too. No one's going around the outside though. So let's try to get over there. After a couple minutes of fighting through bodies, you get outside and you realize why no one was going over here because there's a pillar in the way. Now you have to try to fight back into the crowd to do it. Uh, Everyone's going to these stairs, but not those ones. So it looks like I found a shortcut. And you go over there and you realize those stairs actually go up, which doesn't help you too much in this situation. There's no moving with urgency in a crowd. So imagine Jairus with the urgent plead, my little girl is dying. Nothing is more important than that. I am coming with my life, uh, uh, putting my life at risk to talk to you, Jesus. We need to go, and this crowd is slowing them down. You gotta think that he's just wondering, don't these people know that my world is ending? Why won't they just leave? My little girl is dying. Why can't we get there? And now Jesus stops looking around to figure out who touched him. It's like trying to find a particular needle in a needle stack. 
Why are we spending time on this? Jesus says, who touched my garments? And the woman knows what had happened to her. She knows that she has been made well. Our passage describes her with fear and trembling she comes before Jesus. She has been made well, but she's not out of it yet. Every person in that crowd is unclean because of her. Even though things are good for her now, she could still face punishment. What will this man do to her on this, her best moment? Well, Jesus' words surprise her. He says this in verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Daughter. He uses a term of endearment, a loving phrase to talk to this woman. This woman who experienced so much pain and despair and loneliness. She finds relief in Jesus. This woman who constantly bounced around from place to place, trying to find some source of care, finds care in the only place she can, in Jesus. That is our Jesus. That is the one who loves us. As we too come before him as broken people, no amount of money in the world can make that right. We have a life that we've been trying to live and we keep falling short of that. We know what we're supposed to be like and we keep falling short of that. So we come to Jesus in all despair and pain, in all loneliness and isolation, in a feeble attempt to follow after him with fear and trembling like the woman and he takes all that from us. Daughter, son, your faith has made you well. Out of a crowd of people, Jesus only had eyes for this woman. And that's the same way he relates to all of us, personally, individually. How do we know that? Read every story with Jesus in it, and that's how he relates to every single person. Out of a crowd of people, he only has eyes for us, for you. Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you, and he cares for you your pain, your hardships, your disappointments, your, your shortcomings, every single one of those, Jesus knows that. He knows everything about you, and he cares for you. Out of a crowd of people, he treats each one of us the same way he treats this woman. Do you not see the personalness of that, the love of that that Jesus shows? In the times that we forget, and the times that this world presses in on us so tightly we can barely breathe, and the times that we are just desperately trying to cling to anything, when we are wondering, Jesus, do you even care? We read passages like this, and we see the care of Jesus for his people. He removed the pain from this woman. He removed the isolation from this woman. And he loved her. Out of a crowd of people, he only had eyes for her. And he treats us in the same way. Out of a crowd of people stood Jairus, who came to Jesus in urgency, knowing that there could be punishment for that, but knowing that his daughter's health was more important than anything else, now receives the worst news. 
is verse 35. And while he was still speaking, while all this was happening, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jairus comes to Jesus in all desperation, in all urgency. You can help my daughter. My little girl is dying. Please come and help her. And so they start going, but the crowd slows them down. And they, they need to go quickly, though, but Jesus slows them down to heal this woman. Yes, she was in distressing pain, but she's been living with this for 12 years. Can't you wait another hour? My little girl is dying. Why does she get healing and not my daughter? I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I certainly have. Jesus, I came to you. I brought my needs. I brought my hurts. I brought my pains. And it feels like I got no response. Meanwhile, hearing of of other people and, and answered prayers for them. And my thought just goes to, wow, must be nice. I seem to just keep coming away with nothing answering the same way. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's all hopeless. But that isn't the end of the story. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. You see, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear comes when our eyes shift from Jesus to the sinking sands of this world. Fear comes when we try out of our own efforts to to follow after him, to live like we're supposed to, to live the life that we know we want, and we fall short time and time again. Fear is when we find our source in anything other than Jesus. So we live in this way. Do not fear, only believe. And we fall short of this time and time again. And so what's important to recognize in Jesus' response, there's no shame here. Oh, Jairus, if you just would have believed in me more, maybe this would have worked out for you. That's not it. There's not even a command as it's written. It's the reminder that it's only in Jesus. It's only through belief in him that we can have faith. It's only in following after him, no matter what is going on around us, do we find care. Because in that Jesus always, always cares for his people. And to prove that, he does a miracle. He takes Jairus, Jairus' wife, and just a few of his disciples and go to the place where the little girl was laid to rest. We pick that up in verse 41. We'll jump ahead to that. So Jesus goes and he takes her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. We skipped a lot of the passage, and that's why we wanted to read it earlier in the service. But as you read through it, there's, there's a lot of details. There's a lot that slows us down. People go, uh, people are there mourning, and Jesus comes, and, and he's trying to show his, his power, and, and he gets laughed at. But he is able to resurrect this girl, to bring her back to life. And I love the way it's written because it slows us down. As I said, too often we read to accomplish. Too often we know the end of the story and we don't recognize what it would have been like. Jairus follows after Jesus, trying to go for belief and not fear, 
But you've got to wonder what's going through his mind. You've got to wonder, is this, what is his hope in this situation that slows us down to place us in that, in the uncertainty of it, that we miss if we rush to the conclusion? But in the passage that we read, verses 41 to 43, I think there's two very significant details. The first is this. Jesus can heal with a command. Think of him resurrecting Lazarus. With just his voice, he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus did exactly that. But what does Jesus do here? Taking her by the hand. That's not necessary. Why? It's a loving act. And he also says, Talitha, little girl. But it's more loving. It's a bit more personal than that. A better understanding would be uh, something like a father would say to a daughter. Sweetheart, honey, arise. That's not necessary. But he does it showing his care for this little girl. Second, he said to give her something to eat. He just brought her back to life. What is a better demonstration of care than that? But he isn't done there. Even the most basic of needs that we all experience, hunger, Jesus is concerned about that for this girl as well. This passage is so completely and utterly about the care that Jesus has for his people. The love that he shows and he demonstrates time and time again. And we know from stories like this that we who are following after him, we receive the same care that Jairus got, that his daughter got, that the woman got, because that's in Jesus' nature. He cares. He cares for his people. He cares for us because we're in his image. He cares for us because that is who he is. He is the God who cares. I find so much comfort in the story of Jairus. I, like him, constantly feel like I'm coming to Jesus with my questions and concerns and prayers and disappointments. And more often than not, that's not true. That's way overstretching it. Many times, I walk away wondering, where is my answer? There are other times where it's just wondering, why are other people getting healing? Why are other people getting prayer requests answered? Where is my answer? And what Jesus does here is significant. He delays. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he delays in our life as well so that we can grow in faith and not in fear. Sometimes he delays for the same reason he did for Jairus, for him to do something more significant than we could possibly realize. Sometimes he delays so we can learn all the more that he is there with us. And that, I think, is the most compassionate and most caring thing that Jesus does in this passage. More so than rescuing a woman from 12 years of pain and isolation. More so than rescuing a little girl from death. The most caring thing that Jesus does in this passage is Mark 5, 24, where it says, and he went with him. Jairus came. My little girl is dying, and he didn't have to go alone. He didn't have to wonder. Uh, Jesus could have healed from that spot and go home wondering, did it work? Is this right? He, maybe, maybe his daughter had already died, and he just didn't know that at the time, and, and, and it might have been too late. But, but all the while, Jesus was with him, showing his care and compassion, because that's the most caring thing Jesus does for us as well. 
Elsewhere, he says, behold, I am with you always. In the waves of pain that we experience, in the hurt, in the loneliness, when everything feels so broken and we ask those questions, God, do you even care? Where are my answers to prayer? We are reminded that he does care because all the while he is with us. Jesus, who has gone through more pain than we can imagine, is right there with us no matter what is going on around. And there's times we ask that question, do you even care? We know yes, because of passages like this, because of times in our life. Jesus is the God who stops to save and heal this woman. Jesus is the God who stops to bring a little girl back to life. Jesus is the God who leaves heaven to rescue us. Jesus is the God who paid it all, the most painful death to experience to pay the price for our sins. Jesus is the God who is with us always. Jesus is the God who is coming back. So unequivocally we say, Jesus is the God who cares. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful. It is so easy to be overwhelmed. It is so easy to put our focus in anything but you. It is so easy to look at other people's lives and wonder, why don't I have that? And to take all of this and put it on you. God, you must not be good. You must not love me. But in passages like this, we know that that could not be further from the truth. You love and care for your people. In our feeble attempts to follow you, in our feeble attempts of faith, you say your faith has made you well. In all things, let us constantly be reminded of the care you show us, the love that you have. So in all things, let us turn and remember that you are with us, not leaving us alone, but the God who cares looks out into the crowd, only has eyes for us, says you are with us always. It's to you that we pray. Amen.